It's time for the What in the Podcast. When you think of New Orleans, what do you think of? What comes to mind first? Ebony Park. <laughs> Drinking. Your answer Mardi Gras. That Tuesday. Uh, Ash Wednesday. Okay, you're thinking of all those fun things to do. The Big old mansions with crepe myrtle trees draped in moss. Put a bump. That's part of the song. I know. But that's not the reason we're here tonight. This is true. New Orleans is famous for all sorts of things, and there's lots of fun stuff to do when you're down there for Mardi Gras and everything. But we're going to talk about the ghosts tonight. All the places in New Orleans that are haunted, and there are a lot of places. places. So many that I couldn't name them all in this one particular episode. So we're going to break this up into into at least a two-parter, and you're going to hear the first bit tonight. Welcome to episode 119 of What in the Podcast. Welcome to the What in the Podcast with your hosts, Kent Whittington and Adriana Mito and Tracy Lynn Hernandez. Hello and welcome to the What in the Podcast. Hello, hello, Nothing. <laughs> this time it was nothing. Hi. There we go. <laughs> I got distracted. I can sorry. tell, yes. <laughs> Something flared across the map and i was okay yes adrian and i are sharing our addiction now my fault actually no it's probably my josie's fault. fault actually and tracy to be perfectly honest fault. it's pokemon go yes and we both we all well you and i anyway joined in 2018 no i joined I it gave, in 2016 well whatever i gave it up when i started in 2018 i didn't play it very long i wasn't happy with the options they gave me now they have more options it's more interesting and i'm back playing it which means I've been using a lot of battery power on my phone. You need to keep that away from me because I almost picked that up and it will kill me. Yeah, don't pick up my strawberry. No, I don't want to. You're die. allergic. I don't want to die. I don't have a death wish. Well, yes, I do. I don't know. But anyway, how it's was your actionable plan? How's that? How was your last two weeks? Uh, it was. It was. It was. Um, yeah, I got the baby demons I watch are showing their true demonic colors because what do four year olds do when they realize that they should be Having their their, their conniptions. They break uh, a massive one. What are the what are the kids that don't have terrible twos and get to four and then yeah. So their horns worse. are sprouting from their heads now. And yes. They're growing those tails with the pointed forks on the end. Uh-huh. And, and being absolute snot nose peanut butts. I'll wait until they grow wings. It's coming. <laughs> anyway. Oh no. It's coming. Yeah. Coming soon. <laughs> but you yeah. also did something else, didn't you? You went somewhere. I did. Yes. I went somewhere. One of our favorite locales. I spent the weekend at Bethany House with the bu- or sorry, the kid and my buddy Megan. And I'm trying to get the kid. She might come down the hall in a bit, but mm-hmm. but uh, it was a blast. So and 
and not only was it a blast, but I got to, I've now stayed in three out of the four bedrooms. You're just going to hit them all, aren't you? I'm trying yep. to. In well, fact, we're actually talking. So you to, stayed in two separate bedrooms while you were there. So, so, so it was. I stayed in the travelers' room. So the, the front room. You guys stayed in. Okay. Oh, that the, that. Now, when we the one when we called we the black all, room. Yeah, when we were all there, mm -hmm. I stayed in that front front room, yeah. the teal room, right? Mm -hmm. And you guys were in the in the the black room, travelers' room, whatever the heck, back room. Um, with the map on the wall, it's really yes. pretty. And then um, your sister was. In the in blue room, the, the Robin room, mm -hmm. and Harlow was in the Robin or in Robin's room, right. not Robin's room, the Rose room. Yeah, the one with the creepy mirror. Yes, which I will not sleep in. And then we, if I can help it, <laughs> rotated around. So it's just I, a family in there. It's fine. I don't true. care. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, your stories. I'll fill you in. Okay. Um, so I stayed in in the the travel room, the black room, and um, Morgan stayed in the front room. In the in the the um, day bed the chill room, room the, the David room, and uh, Megan stayed in Robin room the first night, and we're like we kind of want to switch rooms, and does anyone have a problem with this? Well, no, no, no. So we we went through and we swapped rooms out, and um, so I stayed in Robin, and the kid was in the big red room because she wanted to check it out. The big. The, 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 the black room that the black travelers room. room. Oh, the travelers room. room. You yeah. said red room. I'm the like, big, the big bedroom. Oh, bedroom. And, it's called the travelers room. Um, we call it the black room. You know. And Megan went to the front room and she's like, you know. So nobody stayed can, in the pink room the whole nobody weekend. Nobody stayed in the pink room the entire time. <laughs> I bet they were lonely in there. Well, there's kind of a reason for it. But that's just <clears throat> the previous tenants who had stayed there recently were not so kind to the house. Um, now we're talking about the ones that live downstairs? No, 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 no. We're talking about people who rented about it out the guests. Okay, okay. Because we know the tenants that live downstairs aren't there anymore. Yes, they aren't there anymore. Right, right. There's someone else there. Oh, she did find somebody finally. Yes, yes. Oh, okay. So someone else was there. Um, I wish we could have afforded it. I would have moved. We waved as he came by. That's the best we could do. So, um, um, and, and we weren't sure that anyone was there at first until as we're walking by, we hear laughter, but it's like almost muted laughter, not mm -hmm. quite TV, not quite, you know. Well, it was like that when we first went to Bethany House to, to do the interview yeah. with Elsie. So, so we, we, we did hear the noises downstairs and it kind of freaked me out because I thought we were the only ones there at the time. So we, we, we walked by and I'm like, no, there's got to be someone here. And they're like, no, 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 there's no one here. I'm like, Smitty, you're not dying. And you're not going to get out there to hurt the other cat that will literally skin you alive. No. Which cat? Um, any of the cats that walk around the neighborhood that are not Sog. He just cries because he can. Yes, tonight we're actually recording from Tracy's house. house. That's why we are hearing different animals. And it's more or less pretty quiet here. Currently. It won't stay that way. But currently. But um, well, At least we don't have dogs barking. This is true. But um, So the previous people that had been there had put a blanket on the mirror in the rose room. <laughs> like, oh, you almost out, had a spit take. <laughs> put a blanket over the complete mirror. And the, the mirror, room. let me say that the mirror is attached to this really pretty makeup stand yes, with the drawers. It's, a, it's, it's really gorgeous. Vanity, and you can catch glimpses of things in the mirror. And evidently, these big, burly men who are part of the construction crew couldn't handle it. We went downstairs, and after we had confirmed 
because uh, I, I then as we're walking by, I recognize a TV show that was playing in the other room. Like, no, oh, no, no, we have someone staying here. I know what they're watching now, and it, and it was fine. Okay. Um, but we went downstairs and made food, and we're about to load the dishwasher when we realize there's a dent in the bottom of the dishwasher. <gasps> Seriously? Okay. And it's broken free from the top mooring, so we couldn't open the door all the way. So we hand washed everything, and I'm immediately Elsie. Oh my god. Yeah, oh I know my we God. didn't even like that. Here's what we came in on. And and, and me being the terrible person that I am, is like, hey, just so you know, we did what's going on here. We walked in on this. She saw, you know, there were a bunch of, of big, burly, dirty, meh, that were there before the house was full of construction workers. Yeah, just so you folks know, we actually have a really good rapport with Elsie Lottie. And uh, she actually is, in, she's encouraged us on more than one occasion to, to come back. stay. So, yeah. Yeah. So. That there's there's future plots already happening oh, yes, with yes. people from my kids' work and a couple of our friends were mm -hmm. like, we want to go check it out because we can. But um, yeah, so I I was like going through like here's this this I'm giving you a warning here. There's this there's a buzzing light here and I can and, and and she's like you know if I didn't know better I'd say you want to move in. I'm like if I didn't know that you were never selling the house I would. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> she's selling it? No. Oh. If, no, 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 no sales. Everything's fine. No, if, Everything if is she was ever quo. wanting to get rid of the house, I'd be like, let me throw myself on that grenade. I will somehow afford it. Okay. Yeah. With all the rooms, you and you, we, we'd all be pulling our money together. And yes. Getting house loans. Yes, and we would. Like that. It would be awesome. I'd move to Jackson. I don't have a problem with that. We'd be close to Mike and, and, and his family. True. There are stones throw in I own and which is yeah. where Preston Castle is. So hey, another haunted yeah. location. We, we'd be close to, to everything we want to play. Uh -huh. But um, yeah, so so we continued through through the the Friday night, which we got there late. We stopped for dinner and we so we sat around. We, we, we played with things in the front room a little bit. And I was like, I know in here somewhere is the box of goodies. But do I remember where it is? No. Am I going to reach you, out to her at 11 o'clock at night? You're talking about the, uh, paranor the, 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 the paranormal equipment. Yeah. The ghost hunting. Am I going to reach out to her at 11 o'clock at night? No. I'm more civilized than that. Mm -hmm. So when we were in communication in the morning, like we always do, because she checks in. She's awesome. She's a courteous person. Well, she checked on us while we were there, too. So, so you know, she checked in. How's everything going? Da, da, da. Um. So I'm, I'm like, I just don't know where the heck the box is, but that's okay. I'll find it later on, I'm sure. And she's all, it's it's behind the red chair and look for the fake book. And I'm like, I remember to look for the fake book. I haven't, I found one, but it's not the right one. And, uh, <laughs> and then we went out shopping in Jackson. Oh, that's hard. That's, that's, that's a fun trip, fun trip but an expensive but one. Expensive, that was expensive one. yes. I found myself a Briarsbury horse over at the the antique play, or one of the one of the antique. The one that places. has the dolls, all the dolls in it. Yes, I love that one. That's, that's where I found your that's mom's bear. Found, yeah. And then we went over to the bookstore. Went upstairs to the um, to the 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 uh, what the heck's it called? Humajub East. Um, <laughs> I don't think that place is there. It's it's <laughs> never heard of Humajub East. The um. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Sherlock Holmes! They did re redo uh, everything upstairs. Is like Sherlock Holmes rebuilt. You didn't go upstairs to the bookstore. You should go upstairs in the bookstore. No, we didn't go upstairs. We didn't even go to the bookstore. We didn't go to the bookstore. So in the bookstore, and there's a little cafe at the side of it, or tied together. You go upstairs, and there's a oh, tea the bookstore shop. was closed. It was closed. That's why we didn't yes. go. It was so closed. There's a tea shop, and there's candles, and there's um. 
just tons of things to wander through and 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 if you get there you can actually book a private event and have like a tea tasting luncheon thing and i'm like how to get in trouble 101 i'm taking home a candle i am saying no to this oh look over here there's this book oh my goodness there's this and we're gonna leave without taking home the 35 dollars chunk of fluorite i was very good because i spent money oh i love that place that had all the crystals in it and stuff. Yep. The flame or something or it, well, it's it's part. They of the have pictures store. of our crochet stuff in there too to put oh, up. Awesome. They were gonna we were gonna make some. I forgot to tell you we we're supposed to go make some stuff and give it to them to put in there for sale. Okay. We'll I'm sure you have yeah. stuff. I have some stuff too. Oh. We'll Sorry, something I forgot. Too. I totally forgot about. So I has no brain. Well, now she told her you guys can put your heads together so on that note. We came back to the house after <coughs> lunch. Excuse me. And Megan and I were in the kitchen doing stuff getting ready for making part of dinner and Megan smart mouthed oh, and her head went forward at the, <laughs> at the stove. <laughs> and I'm like, problem. She's all, yeah, I shouldn't sass. I'm like, no, you shouldn't, but that's okay. Um, Kid will probably tell you about it more, but she was trying to do dishes and now, she was now being you warned Megan about the Italian I did mother warn, I did warn the kitchen, that, you know, yes. Hey, we have an Italian, a Sicilian, a Sicilian mother yes. in here. And um, be my good. bad, my bad. Don't smack me in the back of the head, <laughs> Sicilian woman. But, yes. um, the kid went to do her dishes and was being discouraged from doing dishes because here she is pregnant and and she's getting a, a not the baby kicking, she's Just getting, getting a gentle push, she's getting pushed back. So, you're pregnant, get out of my kitchen, yes. But uh, it was it was a blast. Uh, we got up Sunday. We were trying to get a little earlier than we had planned. We get told by Elsie, "Take your time leaving." You're like, "No, we have we, no, we will do this right. We will be good." Mm -hmm. And we're cleaning up stuff. We throw things in the washer and get things, you know, list a load of case right. That washer's fast, sweet. Put the second load in, put the, you know, into the dryer, make it go. Put things in the rights. Put notes places we need to do. And and Elsie's like, oh "My goodness, <laughs> Just, I'm sorry." No, no, because there's a checklist of things that you were giving that normal people don't, you know, right. here's what, just in case you were, we were bad, we didn't do any of that when we had, we, we did left. a lot of things. Though, we did, to, uh, we cleaned, the place I, clean. and the place was totally was spotless, spotless when we left. Oh my goodness, it was spotless when we came in. We did the best we could to be spotless when we were leaving, and she's like, you can leave something for Val to do on my, well, she has we the cleaning can, crew, yes. but it's not polite to leave a disaster behind. I know. I'm Polite. We stripped the beds ourselves and we didn't wash everything because we didn't have time for yeah. we, yeah. we had to put money and leave before we just took did not get up as early as you did. Well, we, but again, we, that's why Elsie has a cleaning yeah, crew I know. for that. She's like, if you can, service, I should I'm say. like, yeah, not a problem. If we can, we'll do it. We'll immediately. We're checking and going. But oh my goodness, we had, I ended up spending about a half an hour in the meeting room, the angry room. The meeting room? That would be the room in the back? Yeah. Of the house? The one that, that, that's the office space, basically? Where she had put the Christmas oh, tree. Oh, the, doll, we the dolls. Visiting. Yeah. No, the, the dolls in the, in the, in the There pram. was a Christmas tree in there? When we were no. visiting in the... No. no, the Christmas tree was in the front row. Oh, no, no. There's one in the solarium. The solarium, that's yeah. one thing. Well, She's I, thinking about the I evil doll out. room. I hung out. They're not evil. I know, I'm kidding. They're, I mean, the dolls I have their fine. sibling it's right over there. It's the one in the closet that's got the problem. <laughs> Something in the closet is creepy, though. Well, I went I sat, in there and did not feel like I should be in there. I sat there talking to, you know, I'm here. If you need to vent, if anyone, you know, what's going on here? Well, Megan evidently went in, too, at one point. And she sat down. She's like, you know, it was the, the we're here. And suddenly the, the room got lighter because it wasn't there to bug. was there to, to if you need me type thing. Mm -hmm. 
Um, we had a the kid had the biggest encounter in the middle of the night going to the bathroom. Um, she she said that she either heard be you know get out or be quiet because she would walk by and say thank you because the lights would turn on as she walked by to go to the bathroom and and she's like she's not sure if she heard get out or be quiet but it was just enough to be like you know i'm sorry i'm not <laughs> but she says thank you well, I've, I've never known any of the spirits in the house from my few visits to be rude so, mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm guessing it was probably be quiet. It would probably be quiet. It was probably the angry room going. My son was like, my son was like shh. Mm -hmm. But but she heard something. She I heard think something. it's pretty awesome, actually. Um, I recorded each night. I have not listened to it yet because, to be honest, I have been running around like a mad woman since then. Um, well, it's a lot. That's a lot of hours to, to listen to anyway. So I understand that. But I recorded to to hear if anything happened in the room with me. Um. Granted, the, the first night you're going to have, I'm going to have nothing but um, just the bedroom. The, the, the big bedroom has has TV, so I put YouTube on and had it put Knock Me Out music on. <laughs> and it rained. It was so gorgeous to hear the rain. Did it rain, did you say? It rained on Friday night, oh, Saturday oh. morning. <laughs> oh, Excuse me. Sorry. It was. Sorry to our listeners amazing. for the loud sneeze. It was Oh, you're one to talk about loud sneezes. <laughs> I would have apologized if I had sneezed too. So yeah, th this 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 was an amazing weekend, and and talking with a couple of my friends, we're looking at. I have to talk, reach out to her, see if there's a chance we can rent the bottom apartment and the house. I think that they have a lease on that place right now. Well, that's why I want I want to talk to her about you know if we can do it because if we can set it up to to have for like a weekend ish. Be able to explore the whole uh, yeah. house, yeah. Um, because then we could have um, Matt and Heather want to go. Matt says, you know, he he believes in supernatural, but the supernatural never comes around him. It's like he's he's pop culture. He's the Isle of Centaur, okay, from from Xanth. Anywhere he goes, everything behaves around him. If it's a highly spiritually active area, not when he's there. And I'm like, yes, you are the Isle of Centaur. You are the Centaur Isle right there. It's protected protected from you mm -hmm. that's okay come on over anyways and um johnny wants to go which means we'll either have her mom or maybe miss grace and it'll be the kid and i and the bubby and it'll be fun it sounds like you had a lot of fun there it was definitely. it was great and we want to go again for sure too oh, definitely as soon as we can gather up the money to do it yep um, speaking of places like Jackson and Ione that we mentioned earlier, did you know that there is an Oddities Fair going on on June 10th no, at, at, the Preston, at Preston Castle? $10, so it's very inexpensive to get in. Shop the fair. June 10th. June 10th is a Saturday. Is it $10? I thought it was 20 a person. $10. It's, it's uh, if you want to get into some of the, the things like the, the taxidermy. Tax taxidermy class is sold out. Unfortunately, it's sold out. But there's other things you can do. <laughs> and that sounds ridiculous, but that was actually something I kind of wanted to do with the taxidermy classes. But, I mean, we like all that weird stuff. We used to watch oddities all the time, and we could see them go to the shows, and this is just an opportunity to go. We are going. Well, I wanted to put I, that I to you if you're interested. In the morning on Saturday. Well, so do I. I'm asking for the day off. <laughs> well, the problem, I can possibly tell her that I can come in on Sunday. 
but then I'll be gone the last two weekends of June because that's the Lavender Festival. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll be going on Sunday the 4th anyways. Maybe I can just go in Sunday the 4th and the 11th. Well, we'll figure it out. That's not here either. Well, we've been talking about Bethany House, or Bethany's Home, Sweet Haunted Home, I should call it, because that's what it's actually called, for the last 18 minutes <laughs> of our podcast, and we haven't even gotten to our story yet. But it was fun there. Oh, I we guess. could talk for hours about the place. I'm There's sure we could, because it's, it's Bethany House. Yep. But, you know, and I'd love to hear your daughter's experience with the place. If she's willing to come out, and if she's not, then we'll <laughs> give her a, give her a break. I'll the kids her, pushing I'll on her, her ribs. Break. I know, I know. She's she's highly pregnant right now, and the child is pushing on her ribs. Yeah, but if she's willing, maybe later on, before we close out the podcast, we can talk to her. I think we, we can might hear be able to talk her coming out. But for the moment, let's just get on with what we're or what our subject is for tonight. I should say. Uh, anybody want to tell it people what our subject is tonight? Haunted Nolene. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I spent the time today going, uh, actually, I spent very little time and came up with a lot of stuff about haunted locations in New Orleans, which isn't that hard to do, actually. Yeah, <laughs> New Orleans is a haunted city. Yeah, Everything's haunted there. That city is a, but a I mean, Normally, when I'm compiling <laughs> our, 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 our podcast for, for the night, I... You know, I try to get about 24 to 30 pages. Well, tonight I got almost 40, and I could have gone on even beyond that if yep. I wanted to. So what you're saying is this will be a part one of You might X. actually do a part whatever, yes. <laughs> a part however many gets us through it. But, you know, it's not just New Orleans. I want to do other places that are known to be haunted, too. But New Orleans is, is pretty much ghost central, so I wanted to start there. So what I've done is I compiled a list of stories about the hauntings uh, from articles from the website very local and these are articles by michael demacher um, most of the story well i just about all the stories on there are his um, and then a website called ghost city tours and wikipedia of course and, and, and there were a couple that were listed on a uh, very local that i couldn't find a link for so i went searching it for other places which is why we have all those different sites on it you mean you fell down rabbit holes? I quickly? fell down rabbit holes fairly quickly, yes. And then fell back up again? Yes, it's all and yeah, it's it's simple. It's all a matter of knowing what to look for. Yeah. And it just takes me so long to figure that out. But you once say I do simple, I say wee. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> so who uh, who amongst us would like to talk about the first one? I guess I can because oh. I've been babbling all morning or morning all afternoon here. <laughs> English is hard. Okay. Hey. All I can say is is <laughs> We can get ahead of ourselves, so just kind of pace yourself <laughs> and, and, and read it, you know, and I'm sure we'll have a good time. I'm sure we will. Yes. Take it away, Tracy. Okay, so the first one we have is how the ghost of a heartbroken Bourbon Street showgirl killed her lover. I'm a little afeard already. And this is actually a story about a love triangle, if I remember right. Okie dokie. So take her away. So here now, the tragic tale of one Marguerite. O'Donnell, born in New Orleans. Try to say it right, Tracy. Uh, <laughs> sorry to say it. West Coast, not New Orleans. There we go. Um, in 1842, the youngest of 12 children of recent Irish immigrant Michael O'Donnell and his French wife. She was the only one of the couple's seven daughters to inherit her mother's French beauty. At the age of 18, she married Octave Suave, or Suave. But Michael before... Suave. Anyway. Before she had <laughs> much time to enjoy marital bliss, Octave went off to fight the Civil War. 
the devastated Marguerite's family and all five of her brothers, as well as four sisters' husbands, were killed in the fighting. Her husband, however, smitten. You're not dying. Sorry. Her husband, however, survived the fighting, but returned to Marguerite as a broken and cruel man. Unable to stand being in the house with him, she went to work as a chorus girl in the French Opera House in Bourbon Street, lying about her age by saying she was in her early 20s. By then, she was actually 33. The French Opera House, designed by famed New Orleans architect James, James Gallier Jr., had opened in 1859 in the 500 block of Bourbon Street and was a pillar of Creole society for the rest of the century. Hosting carnivals, balls, performances, the biggest names of entertainment, Marguerite kept her opera house gig a secret from her husband, which was easy enough because they both worked at night. Marguerite performed at the opera house for several years until the summer of 1878, when yellow fever arrived once again in New Orleans. The epidemic finished what the Civil War started, killing the rest of her family, including her husband, Octave. Madame Marguerite Suave was now alone, but continued to perform many years at the French Opera House, an aging showgirl hanging on too long, like Lola from Barry Manilow, a song that, that haunted me as a child. Her name was Lola. She was a showgirl. Anyway. From the chorus <laughs> to the kitchen. Yeah. At the turn of the century, Marguerite became the paramour of an elderly, rich, and slightly blind man named Monsieur de Boisblanc. Who lavished her with finery before conveniently dying three months into their affair. Conveniently. She used the $10,000 inheritance he left her to open a pastry shop named Les Camilles. Les Camilles. I can read this, I swear. You said it right. It was located just around the corner from the French Opera House where she had performed for so many years and was a popular spot for the opera crowd to score a delectable dérangé gâteau chocolat ou pâté brisé. Which nummies, nummies, and more nummies. Sorry. Yes, yes. Uh, her shop was so successful, she put an ad in papers across the South seeking other pastry chefs. Yet settling on a 21-year-old from Kappa named Carlos Alfaro, purportedly a relative of the, of the president of Ecuador, General Eloy Alfaro, author Google's dates of, of his reign. Okay, sorry. Uh, dates of reign, and then checks out for the, from what the author has dated, stated here. Yeah. Just a reference I left in there. So the handsome young Carlos shows up in New Orleans and, of course, sucks at making pastries. But in the shadow of the French Opera House, music and passion were always the fashion. The young pastry chef and the 60-year-old former showgirl began a love affair. The betrayal. Marguerite was no longer alone. She'd, loved, she'd been loved first by the Civil War soldier, then an old man, and finally a young man. In the olden days, the trifecta was called a reverse Scarlet O'Hara. And they lived happily ever after. No, of course they didn't. Of course he did. Of course, she found out because this is how those ghost stories tend to go. Carlos had taken up with a streetwalker named Lisette Leboeuf, and the pair had a love nest on St. Anne Street at La Rue Royale, just a few blocks away from the pastry shop. So Leboeuf was in the LaBeouf, huh? Yeah, oui. <laughs> After popping into the rooming house one day and finding the pair asleep in each other's arms, Marguerite's heart was broken. She lost her youth. She lost her Carlos. And now she lost her mind. The writer must really like Barry Manilow. That's all I can That's say. That's what I'm guessing so. She lost her youth. She lost her Carlos. Now she's lost her mind at the Copa. <laughs> Marguerite <laughs> returned to her home above the pastry shop. There was blood and a single gunshot as she killed herself with a pistol. In the suicide note left for police, Marguerite swore that her spirit would return for vengeance. Her ghostly revenge. A few days after Marguerite's suicide, late night revelers on Bourbon Street saw an eerie sight. On the steps of the French Opera House, a pale woman 
with red glowing eyes set in a sunken face, her long white hair streaming down her back and dragging along the ground. The appar apparition glided down the, the steps up to Bourbon's, made a slight, made a right turn on Toulouse, and a left on Royal as it passed this behind St. Louis Cathedral before turning on St. Anne. Residents of the, roaming, of the rooming house saw the ghost come into the building and up the stairs. One girl later declared the apparition to be none other than Marguerite, uh, the late of Le, Camel Le Camelias pastry shop. The ghost slipped into the room where the lover slept and cranked up the gas in a small stove, killing Carlos and Lisette. After getting her revenge, the ghost slipped back into the night, but it wasn't the last she was seen. For 10 years, Marguerite's nightly procession from the opera house to the St. Anne rooming house continued. Sorry, Sightings of the ghosts of Marguerite were so frequent that one of the local newspapers wrote about them. Neighbors dubbed Marguerite's ghost the witch of the French opera house. Finally, after a decade of haunting, yet another new tenant moved into the cursed apartment where the couple was murdered because there was no such thing as Zillow back then. The tenant found a piece of paper wedged between the mantel and the brick of the chimney, supposedly a love letter from Marguerite to Carlos begging to be taken back. The new tenant tossed the letter in the fire, and as she did so, the ghost of Marguerite suddenly materialized and tried in vain to save it from burning. The letter crumbled to ash, the ghost let loose a tortured howl and disappeared, never to be seen again. Or maybe not. Some claim she can still be seen walking her forlorn route tormenting unfaithful lovers. Others say Marguerite continues to haunt the, room, the rooming house, becoming particularly restless, restless when another woman is in the building. And what of the French opera house? The hottest spot north of Havana and Marguerite's, bless it, Marguerite's starting point for the decade of ghostly treks up through the streets of the French Quarter? In the early mornings of December 4th, 1919, a mysterious fire broke out and destroyed the entire opera house, leaving a scene of destruction one reporter described as a bombarded cathedral town. Sorry, but bombarded cathedral town where imagery was kind of a thing in 1919. The fire occurred hours after the rehearsal for the opening for the opera Carmen. The story of a fiery eyed performer <clears throat> caught in a love triangle <clears throat> that ends with her violent death. Sound familiar? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Makes you wonder which came first. Uh, I don't know. All I know is I got to give it to to Michael DeMocker here for his uh, alliteration and his love of Barry Manilow. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. <laughs> we appreciate it. We appreciate it. Well, on to the next story. Um, Adrian, do you want to take this one? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll no, get his I'm looks. Not, I'm just not feeling well. My, can't, my hips. Okay. All right. Well, I'll, I'll hit the next here. one. Then. I'm trying to. That's fine. Sorry. That's okay. Yeah. So the next one's called Throw Me Something, Spectre. Ghosts of the Parade Route. As carnival parades return to the streets of New Orleans, revelers and crews might not realize they're celebrating life alongside the dead. With many purportedly haunted spots on or just a doubloon's throw away from the parade route. There are, of course, several parade routes in New Orleans, but the most well-traveled tra in some form is the route that rolls on St. Charles Avenue from uptown to Canal Street, passing those who have already said farewell to the flesh but are still hanging around for the party. What follows, in order, are the ghostly venues carnival parades pass as they make their way to downtown. Okay, starting with uptown. One of the first and most recognizable landmarks parades on the Uptown route will pass is that we will pass is the historic Columns Hotel in the 3800 block of St. Charles Avenue. 
a bevy of mostly well-behaved and gregarious ghosts grace the majestic mansion. The best known of these is the woman in white who floats through the ballroom, a spirit purported to be that of Ida, the wife of the man who built the columns in 1883, tobacco magnate Simon Hernsheim. Hernsheim, there we go, okay. Ida died unexpectedly in 1895. Other stories say Ida can only be seen outside on the sidewalk, mournfully staring at her former home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the historic Columns Hotel in the 3800 block of St. Charles Avenue. Oh, I already talked about that. Sorry. There was a photo there I deleted. That's what that was for. Let me take that out. There we go. <laughs> Many of the hotel's rooms have their own. Oh, I jumped. Sorry. Many of the hotel's rooms have their own unique ghosts. A pair of weary middle-aged women take an eternal rest break in room 10. In room 20, the floating torso of a handsome, square-jawed older man appears. I'm handsome, but I'm only half there. <laughs> a man who is a dead ringer for the aforementioned Simon Hernsheim, who died by suicide in 1898, having never gotten over the death of his wife. In room 21, a ghostly hand rocks people to sleep in the daybed and appears in the bathroom mirror. In room 25, things disappear only later to reappear as if a ghostly prankster is at work. And I jumped again. I'm getting the same problems you get here lately. Yeah. Everything's jumping. I didn't jump it, though, I swear. No, 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 I do. <laughs> Parade goers on St. Charles at 4th Street are close to two famous ghosts who like to mess with utilities. Just a few steps riverbound from the parade route is the former 1891 Castle Inn, where guests encounter the Translucent Man so-called because he appeared only in peripheral vision or in mirrors. In life, he was a servant who smoked, drank, sang, and partied like it was 1899. Unfortunately, he died in an accidental fire. You know, we went from Manila to Prince here. Apparently, <laughs> apparently, while sleeping went off, his spirit haunted the inn for years, playing tricks on guests by moving or hiding items and switching TVs and radios on and off. The second ghost at the 1891 Castle Inn was that of a barefoot little girl in a white dress named Emily who drowned on a pond behind the property. She spent her afterlife turning water faucets on and off when she wasn't bouncing on guest beds or touching them on the leg. Emily was also said to wander the sidewalks and neutral grounds looking for her mother like every other New Orleans kid has done at a parade at some point. It's not known if the pair stuck around after the hotel closed and became a private home a few years ago, though. Uh, the historical Pontchartrain, Pontchartrain Hotel. Sorry, that's a hard one for me to say. Thank you. <laughs> so the hotel stood in the 2000 block of St. Charles Avenue since opening in 1927. It was originally an apartment hotel where a pair of rich spinster sisters lived in the, on the 11th floor. It is said one sister decided to kill the other by setting a fire in the apartment, but ended up killing them both as often happens, as well as several other residents. A husband and wife who died on the ninth floor of the fire are said to haunt the floor's ice machine. Well, yeah, you die in a fire, you want to go someplace cool. <laughs> Sorry. Makes sense to me. <laughs> the sisters themselves continue to appear on the 11th floor, gossiping and bickering for all eternity. I wouldn't want to be involved in that. So if you follow the parade down the route to the 1300 block, you'll come to the site where the famous resident once lived, the devil. devil? Yes, the devil. The legend goes that around 1840, Old Scratch took one Madeline Frenau as his wife and built a mansion for her at 1319 St. Charles Avenue. 
While some say Devil's Mansion appeared overnight, others said it was built in just seven days. Either way, that's quite the feat. Yes. At sunset, Satan could be seen peering down on the street, horns and all. Mrs. Devil, nay for now, her home was reportedly staffed by little red demon cooks, housekeepers, and servants, like an eternally damned Downton Abbey. <laughs> However, despite her lavish lifestyle, Madeline got bored and began an affair with a local Creole gentleman named Al Alcide Cancien. Boy, I'm, I hope I'm getting these right. I the devil caught on and offered her paramour a load of money to leave him, or sorry, to leave town. Alcide was tired of the affair anyway and told Madeline at a private dinner he was leaving town with the loot. She accepted this and moved on. Just kidding. Just kidding, yes. <laughs> she brutally murdered him by strangling him with a napkin. That must be one heck of a napkin. Definitely cloth, well, I'm sure. Remember, you had serviettes. You didn't have these little flimsy napkins. You actually had, like, they crossed your lap and your gown and in your finery and your right, fippery. Right. So it was like wearing a long bib or something like yes. that. Yeah. Okay. Well, the devil chose this moment to return home. Having okay. already grown weary of his mistress, the devil gathered up Madeline and her fatally, and her fatally napkined lover and had a late dinner on an upstairs balcony, the main course being the former couple. He then left town. Today, a hotel stands at 1319 St. Charles Avenue. Whatever curse was afflicting the devil's mansion appears to have disappeared with the building itself, as there haven't been reports of any hauntings by the hotel staff. The Devil's Mansion at 1319 St. Charles Avenue was reportedly staffed by Little Red Demon Cooks, as we said. Oh, that's another another photo I took out. Never mind that. <laughs> I gotta say, though, if the, if this story is true, it, it's, it'd make a great ride. Uh -huh. <laughs> we'll add, the, add that to the Haunted Mansion. <laughs> anyway, as we get downtown, we get to Gallier Hall the marble three-story neoclassic building across from Lafayette Square, which is a, tra a traditional stop on Mardi Gras Day. From viewing stands set up on the steps of the former city hall, the mayor of New Orleans toasts the queen and the king of the Zulu Social Aid and Pleasure Club and Rex, the king of Carnival. But one Mardi Gras reveler may never have left. A poltergeist theorized to be the spirit of a man knifed to death on the steps of Gallier Hall during a 1972 Mardi Gras Day parade, bangs doors and is generally disruptive and noisy, especially on the rarely used third floor. Second ghost generally dis second ghost, sorry, it is, that is said to hang out on the steps of Gallier Hall is that of the cruel Union General Benjamin Beast Butler, so nicknamed for his heavy-handed treatment of New Orleans during the occupation of the city by the Union Army. He was the kind of jerk who would intercept a stuffed toy thrown from a float clearly meant for a child. Okay, okay. It's true. <laughs> Just before parades turn into onto the Canal Street, they cross onto Canal Street, sorry. They cross over Common Street on St. Charles Avenue. It was inside a store near this intersection in August of 1873 that employees heard a commotion coming from a third floor storeroom while working late one night. One clerk crept up to investigate, but was assailed by a group of tall, chain-rattling, skinless apparitions. Tearing back downstairs, he told his companion of what had happened. The second clerk investigated and was met by a blood-red woman who handed him a pair of yellow slippers. Needless to say, the clerks bolted. I wonder what the significance was of the yellow slippers. 
No clue. It's got to be a story there. Maybe someday we'll find out, but not mm -hmm. today. Because it turned out that about 25 years earlier, it was discovered that it, maybe we'll find out, discovered that a chef named Gaston had fled Paris after killing and feeding two pantry boys to one Count de Travail. To avoid prosecution, Gaston absconded by ship to New Orleans, where he reinvented himself as a shoemaker named Perot. Okay, now we're getting the slippers. He opened up a shoemaking business on the first floor of the Common Street building, <clears throat> but also disguised himself and ran a boutique restaurant on the second floor under the name of Valentin. And he was one evil bastard. He purchased, murdered, and served slaves as food and used their skin to make his shoes. When his wife, Celine, discovered his horrible secret and confronted him, she too was served at a restaurant, not as a patron. Her skin was used to make the pair of yellow slippers for the daughter of Monsieur Cantrell. However, they were quickly returned when Cantrell complained that the shoe spoke to his daughter, <laughs> grumbling that they belonged to someone else. As the authorities closed in, the skinned body of Gaston Ferrault and Valentine was discovered in the building. <clears throat> the ghosts of those he so brutally murdered having taken their revenge. The talking yellow slippers were never found, but the ghosts remained, wailing restlessly from the third floor of the Common Street building. Now, see, if the guy had taken those slippers before bolting out of the place, he might have been stuck with talking slippers for the rest of his life. <laughs> Think about that. I hurt you. A parade passes the intersection of Common Street and St. Charles Avenue, reportedly the scene of a horrific haunting, which we already talked about. I did it again. Sorry about that. Thought I got rid of all those. <clears throat> okay, it's not just buildings along the parade route that attract ghosts, but even particular parades themselves. While the motto of the crew of Mid-City is... Pour la joie de vivre, for the joy of living. One paranormal investigator believes the parade is greatly employed by the dead as well. Psychic and paranormal columnist Mickey of Miami declared the crew of Mid-City's annual procession to be the number one most haunted parade in America. She theorizes that the signature handmade foil that the crew uses to decorate their floats attracts spirit forms, ectoplasmic mist, orbs and spectral images, which are visible in photos of the parade. You can check for yourself where the city's fifth oldest continuously parading crew hits the intermittently haunted uptown parade route on February 27th at 11.45 a.m. And there you go. And I, I want to say it's enjoyed by the dead, not just employed by the dead. That's true. I'm sure they enjoy it as well. So that's what the word was. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm out of wind now, so I'll go on to the next person to tell the story who wants to go next where what story uh that's the ghostly hands of the children at the galley house that one okay sorry i just wasn't ready <clears throat> excuse me while i take a breather the ghostly hands of children at the galley house the group wanders off toulouse street and into a parking lot lit by security lights and a winning moon one by one they step up and explore extend their arms into a lone window set in the concrete wall partially blocked by four iron bars that mark it as a as the prison it once was some jerk their hands away convinced their hands have been grasped by the ghosts of enslaved children who died while locked in these former slave quarters during the yellow fever epidemic uh, of 1853 a pandemic in the past these abandoned former slave quarters are at the rear of the galley house, also known as the Kiefer's Building, Coffer, can you? Coffers. Coffers Building, which has stood at the corner of Toulouse and Chartres in the French Quarter since the early 19th century. 
Major Louise B. Galley, 1787 to 1856, had it built several years after the devastating Good Friday fires of 1788, which started at 619 Chart Chartres Street across the street from the current building. For years, passerbyers have reported seeing the forlorn faces of children staring out the street level window, their small spectral arms reaching out through the bars. According to paranormal researchers, about three in 10 people who reach into the window say they feel the touch of the ghostly children who succumbed to the terrible yellow fever outbreak, which decimated New Orleans in 1853. Sad so, is what it is. Stick your mm -hmm. hand in there and get touched by a child. It's sad. Yeah. So sad. But definitely a dare. The 1853 <laughs> outbreak was partially... Particularly nasty, it struck in the summer and by late July was killing about 100 people daily. The authorities downplayed the outbreak for fear of the economic impact quarantine would bring about, at bring, a, bring. but uh, after about 1,000 people had died, insert long ironic pause here, they finally admitted the danger the virus posed and took measures to combat it. Over 4,000 of the city's population, nearly 4%, 4 4 of the city population, nearly 5,000 people, Sorry. Were taken by yellow fever in August alone. By the end of the outbreak, over 7,800 people died. See, a lot more than 4,000. Yes, a lot. <clears throat> How many did we lose in our recent pandemic? I don't know, but we're talking about, you know, it, it similarities. It's a, not, it's a legit question. Mm -hmm. It's something that is brought up in my head. So, anyway, death from the. Acute hemorrhagic virus was horrific as the victims suffered high fever, jaundice, convulsions, and black vomit. Oh, horrible. About half of the people who contracted yellow fever died seven to ten days after contracting it with blood coming from their eyes, nose, and ears. It sounds a lot like, um, I didn't do it. be that way. It sounds a lot like, um, what is that one? See if the ghosties are active here tonight, too. Yeah. Doesn't surprise me at all. No, I'm talking about the the one in Africa, the bleeding Ebola. Ebola, thank you. Brain is gone. I have no brain whatsoever. See, Tracy, you you have active house too. Duh, <laughs> we knew that. New Orleans. Okay, their ears hood. Blood face. coming from their nose, their eyes, nose, and ears, and as they withered and screamed with their last breaths, New Orleans medical professionals at the time repeated the old myth that slaves were highly resistant or even straight up immune to yellow fever, despite ample evidence to the contrary. Well, yes, it, otherwise, how are you going to get your slaves to work? Mm -hmm. It's not surprising there are so many stories of restless front of. So many stories of restless French Quarter spirits taken by this ghastly virus. Not a lot of famous NOLA ghosts died choking on a delicious charbroiled oyster. The ghosts of the galley house children are by no means the only French Quarter spirits tied to the outbreak of, of Yellow Jack. I'm going to tell you right now, if you see NOLA on there, that's New Orleans, Louisiana. Okay. I didn't know. I'm just telling you. I, mean, I should it, know, it but it wasn't, a lot on this site. I wasn't thinking. Okay. I lost my place again. Okay. Yellow deck. Several lingering victims can be found. Just a beignet, beignets throw away the ghost. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha. 
let's joke about something serious. The ghosts of yellow fever victims are said to haunt a nearby former quarantine hospital in the 500 block of Toulouse. Later, the site of the famed O'Flattery Irish pub, apparitions of yellow fever victims and the nuns who cared for them are said to roam the Ursuline convent on Chartreuse Street. Using the litter I know, I know. <laughs> Chartreuse Street. Chartreuse Street. Guests at the Bourbon Orleans say they've heard the crying of young yellow fever victims in the hallways, a ghostly echo from the outbreak that struck the halls of the Sisters of the Holy Family Orphanage the hotel once was. I have your answer for you. For your coronavirus. I was just curious. Uh, as of May 2023, there have been 765,903,278 confirmed cases of COVID-19, including six, sorry, 6 million 927,378 deaths reported to the to the World Health Organization. Yeah, that's so world, that's how many cases was the first one and how many died from the second one? That's worldwide. You're, you're talking yes. about one city, I, though. I was just asking. I know, I know. I'm just saying I'm that, just I'm just saying that, that particular yep. number does not correlate to what you're talking about yes. because you're talking about one city versus the entire yes. world. Yes, I'm just giving you the... This your, is still the same part, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. The Galley House ghosts. Also the young victim young victims of yellow fever at the galley house are not the only ghosts to be found on site. In the late 19th century, the building was purchased by Taylor Henry Deering and his wife, Joanna. Joanna is said to have died for unknown reasons in 1895 at the age of 24, with poor Henry following her in death less than two years later. Succumbing to heat stroke while toiling away in the New Orleans, Louisiana heat, which face it, we can all empathize with. It's nasty. <laughs> I can, I can agree. Things get confusing when other sources reported that Joanna was actually 66 at the time of her demise. It isn't clear if her age was misreported at the time or if she was reported dead again 42 years later. Okay, regardless. You never know if it's New Orleans. <laughs> regardless, the figure of a young woman has been seen peering out of Toulouse street facing windows watching the traffic in the street or tourists weaving in and out of the quarter the shutters on the window of the empty second floor have been seen to move on several occasions nobody seems to know if this is joanna circuit age 24 or some other poor soul who appears in the windows in addition there have been sightings of the apparition of a hulking man with a whip pacing the second floor balcony which which hold on which wraps around two sides of the galley house today the restaurant on the ground floor is dark on sunday night closed down for the time being the shutters of the windows on the upper floors are shut tight coincidentally the restaurant's previous location in the rands mansion building across the street at 601 chartres has its own haunting one account says that there is a ghost of a young man who was shot to death in a drug deal gone bad sometime in the 1970s other accounts say he killed himself. He is said to appear in the middle of the day on the second floor balcony wearing a white t-shirt and blue jeans. Those who see him don't even realize they are look, realize they are looking at a ghost without being told. Potential renters of his former apartment are reported to have felt a great sense of unease and even nausea upon entering the dwelling and really got farther than the living room before looking else, looking to rent elsewhere. The spirit watches people in the street below, including walking tours that make their way to the rear of the galley house to be touched by hands from another another world. Okay. So we learned from that basically the yellow fever was a pain in the butt in New Orleans. It was, not, it was, it was a bleeding fever, a bleeding virus, like, yeah. like a bull. <clears throat> Yeah, whereas uh, with COVID in this example, people just got really sick and it wasn't and can't breathe. Outward, 
the breathing gets to yeah. be hard to do. But you're not vomiting up black or bleeding out your... Well, you vomit up black, that's just blood that's been run through your system. Exactly. Either way, it's nasty. That's why when they ask, they always ask you if you've been sick with coffee grounds, if you've been throwing up. Yep. I would know. I've had an ulcer. Fair enough. <laughs> the processing of commercial information is complete. Back to the show. Okay, Tracy, you want to regale us with the next one? Sure. This okay. up next is the Fighting Ghosts of Cherokee Street. I'm afraid. <laughs> One dark night without warning, Brick started hurling around the backyard at the 200 block of Cherokee Street. Sharp stones, chunks of iron, wooden debris rained down as well. The residents of the home, thinking the aerial assault was the result of mischievous children or some old vengeful grudge, were not to confront the vandals, only there was no one to be found. <laughs> the mysterious nightly hail of projectiles went on for months, witnessed by neighbors, police officers, regularly called to the scene, and the usual curiosity seekers. That the source of the missiles was never found. They just seemed to materialize out of thin air. Eventually, the mystery was solved and brought to an end. It turns out the residents were right from the beginning. The cause was a mischievous child and an old vengeful grudge, but its origins were from beyond the grave, where this was a violent battle between two poltergeists. Strange uptown occurrences. The neighborhood where the nightly clash took place is, is now called the Black Pearl. So designated by the Office of Policy Planning during the Moon Landrew administration. I can see that. Yeah, Moon Landrew. Uh, the OPP was tasked with giving names over 70 previously unnamed New Orleans neighborhood. Black Pearl was chosen because of Pearl Street ran through predominantly black neighborhood, which was bound by Broadway Street, uh, Charles Avenue, and Mississippi River. The legendary gospel singer Mahela Jackson began her career singing at churches in that neighborhood. But back in 1890, it was home to one Abner White. If you look up cranky old man in the old dictionary, <laughs> there'll be an engraving of Abner with the classic, you little hooligans, get off my lawn, expression on his curmudgeonly post. <laughs> <laughs> his hatred of the neighborhood children was well known. He accused them of harassing them, of harassing him and calling him names, disregarding the old adage about sticks and stones might break my bones. More about that later. In reality, the kids were scared of Abner and mostly avoided him. However, one day it said that he was grumping around the neighborhood when he passed a group of giggling, whispering girls who accidentally bumped into him. All Abner went ballistic, screaming and swearing at them. He grabbed one girl named Ollie Voss, violently shook her, and threw her to the ground before tromping down the street. Abner then went to his house, attached a bunch of balloons to it, and flew away to... Whoops, wrong story. Uh, no, he just woke up dead one morning in the entire neighborhood celebrated because they thought he could no longer plague them from his tomb. But alas, Henri Abner wasn't going to rest in peace. It's always the Henri ones that want to stick around and of cause trouble. It is, of course, because that's why they're Henri. Yep. Um, within a week after Abner was entombed, little Ollie Voss was standing near the fireplace of her home when a superheated brick was uh, belching from the fire. Was belched, sorry, from the fire, lighting her cotton nightdress night dress ablaze. She screamed at her mother, saying, "It's old Abner White. He's there in the fireplace, grinning at me, Mom. It's old Abner White." Her mother, unable to save poor Ollie from the flames, and the girl was laid to rest in the Voss family tomb not far from their home. In the ensuing years, the tomb began to suffer from the elements, cracking and crumbling so badly that the family disinterred Ollie and reburied her in another nearby cemetery. Well, Haven't really had a grudge against her, didn't he? He sure seems to have. Yeah. Well, you know. Anywho. 
Sticks and stones, according to the 1880 map of New Orleans graveyards, there were, and still are, two cemeteries close to the neighborhood. Carlton, no. Carlton. Yeah, Carlton yep. Cemetery at Adams and Birch, and St. Mary's Cemetery, two blocks away at Adams and Cohn. It stands to reason that little Ollie and this story would have been moved between these two cemeteries. As soon as she was reburied, the shower of bricks, sticks, and stones began, threatening to break bones of every, in every night in the backyard of Ollie's family home. Well, now that's true. It's not a coincidence, then. No, it's not. Um, guess where Ollie had been re-entombed the, in the other cemetery? Nope, right near the tomb of Abner White. And the two were having none of it. No longer timid, the girl, uh, as, uh, no longer the timid girl she was in life. There we go. The ghost of Ollie fought back against Abner as their animity transcended to the afterlife. During their nightly skirmishes, the boss yard filled with fallen bricks and stones, and nobody dared remove. The story went that the girl was struck by one, sorry, that a girl was struck by one of the projectiles and immediately vomited lizards and spiders and bits of brains and splintered bones before dying. Good gravy. Oh my gosh. One of the other, uh, one of the older neighborhood neighbors, sorry, finally pointed out the proximity of the two tombs in the cemetery and suggested this was just the cause, was the cause of mayhem. Seeking to end the dangerous nightly conflict before any other further fatal regurgitation of lizards, the Voss family bought yet another tomb and moved the daughter away from, the, from her eternally cranky neighbor. After Ollie was re relocated, the violent phenomenon immediately ceased and the accumulated wreckage of months-long war disappeared as if it was never there. The yard thick and green with grass as if the flinging feud between the ghosts of Ollie and Adler had never been. Well, I do hope that part about the lizards and everything is an urban legend. I hope so, because, um, you know. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty, uh, out there stuff, yes. but, you know, the whole, the whole thing about the sticks and stones and bricks and mortar and all that other stuff, <laughs> I could, I could understand that happening with two angry poltergeists. I'm glad, if, if that's the case, I'm glad Ollie was giving as good as she was getting toward the end. This is true. <clears throat> so anyway... I guess we should go on to the next one. Probably. This is the wandering statue of Storyville Madam Josie Arlington's Metairie Cemetery Tomb. If you're walking past Metairie Cemetery some moonlit evening and see a young woman walking by carrying an armload of flowers, don't be alarmed. That's just the statue from the grave of the infamous Storyville Madam Josie Arlington out for an evening stroll. You may also notice that the stone flames atop Josie's tomb have ignited and burned like the red lights of the brothers of the brothels that made Josie her fortune. <clears throat> so who is Josie Arlington? Mary Dublin. Wow. What? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. You guys got noisy all of a sudden. I'm looking for a pair of scissors. Sorry. Gotcha. So Mary Devler was born in the Carrollton neighborhood of New Orleans in 1864. Some stories say she had strict parents she wanted to escape. Others say she was, an or she was orphaned at the age of four and raised by nuns. Regardless, as a teenager, she absconded with the scoundrel Philip Lebrano, also known as Schwartz, who put her to work as a prostitute in some of the city's higher-end brothels. Josie's beauty and formidable temper put enough money in their pocket that she was eventually able to open brothels of her own. <clears throat> she ditched Lebrano after he shot her brother, Peter, to death during the altercation in 1890, having changed her name to Josie Arlington after the popular saloon, the Arlington. 
the prostitute turned madam opened a four-story, 16-bedroom high-end establishment in the 200 block of Basin Street at the heart of the infamous Storyville District. Really, Smitty? Smitty, your timing sucks. You've never done that before. The Chateau Librano de Arlington offered exotic-looking and educated girls at exorbitant prices. All manner of discreet debauchery was on the menu for the big, easy, rich, and powerful. And Josie became an extremely rich madam, able to buy a stately home at 2721 Esplanade Avenue. Planning for the end. But she thought her tomb caused a stir when she was alive. The tomb after her death brought down right chaos. <laughs> it wasn't long before passerby reported that light was coming from her tomb and that the stone flames atop her tomb were flickering with red light. Huge crowds came out to see the phenomenon. Some blamed a nearby flashing traffic beacon for the effect. To calm the public, the light was removed. A cross was carved into the back of the tomb, and things quieted down. Temporarily. Yeah. The day after the first anniversary of her death, Arlington was taken from her tomb. While some say families from neighboring graves demanded she be removed because of the, of the crush of curious visitors, it would appear that her heirs, her paramour and business partner, Tom Brady, no relation, I assume, <laughs> And her niece, Anna Dubler, who married Tom a week after Arlington's death. Mm. Yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, recklessly spent her fortune, eventually causing the tomb to be sold off to another family. That a prominent local lawyer, J.A. Morales. J.A. are also Madam's initials, just saying. Uh, Arlington's remains were removed to another part of the cemetery. The location of her body remains a guarded secret to this day. This posthumous relocation at the behest of her sorry, profligate errors apparently did not go over well with the late Mrs. Arlington. Miss Arlington, let me be correct there. Since then, it's said the granite flames of her tomb reignite into flames every year on Valentine's Day, the anniversary of her death. Neighbors have... Sorry, dear? Nothing. Okay. Ew. <laughs> Neighbors have reported ghostly pounding on the door of what has come to be known as the Flaming Tomb, as the restive spirit tries to regain entry to her hard-earned resting place. Of course, the, of course, there are the tales of the wandering statue. Two grave diggers named Anthony and Todkins swore that on two separate occasions they witnessed the statue come to life, descend the steps, and take a nocturnal stroll around the cemetery. Statue has indeed repeatedly been found in the light of day elsewhere on the grounds and returned to its spot outside Josie's former tomb. Hmm. People playing a prank, or is it actually moving around? Yeah, little column A, little column B. Yeah, you know, I've seen the picture actually of the statue at the tomb. It does look like it's knocking on the tomb door trying to get back in. Little column A, little column exactly, B. Exactly, yes. No, Smitten. you're no, not dying. You have nothing to add to this conversation right now. <laughs> so as of today, in addition to the strange goings on in the cemetery, one ghost hunting book claims a recurring spectral apparition of a woman dressed in black that appears in the 900 block of Esplanade Avenue on the French Quarter side of the streets is the madam. Postmortem, of course. A resident, when asked if she'd ever seen the spirit, which is said to fade in and out while wandering the avenue, replied, no, I haven't heard that one, but we do sure have our share of ghosts around here. <laughs> Just a few. Okay. Ready for the next one? 
Can you read that trick you? Oh, yes. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. You get the Ghosts of Pharmacy Museum. Located at Okay. <laughs> Located at 514 Chartres Street, the New Orleans Pharmacy Museum is a popular attraction for tourists visiting New Orleans. Inside, you can view all sorts of medical contraptions, some looking rather medieval. What you might not see are the ghosts which haunt the pharmacy museum. For years, people have been reported having paranormal activity inside of the pharmacy museum. So who could it be that is haunting the pharmacy museum? Well, you'll have a chance to hear the particulars on I was like, who could it be? Yes. The pharmacy museum. The pharmacy museum. <laughs> on our world famous ghost tour. Here is a snippet to tide you over until then. The history of the pharmacy museum. Louise de, de, Filho, de, Filho. de Filho Jr. was born in 1788 in Mirand, France. He was the son of Jean de Forget it. And Jean Marie <laughs> Bonnet. Jean Marie Bonnet who moved the family to New Orleans sometime between 1800 and 1803. Louis also had an older brother who was also named Louis. Now that got confusing at dinner time. Louis, old, the older Louis and Jean opened a pharmacy at 12 Toulouse Street, and, this, and census records show that the family also lived here in 1805. In 1816, Louis Jr., the youngest, graduated from the College of Pharmacy in Paris, France. Upon his return, the two brothers started their own pharmacy at 63 Chartres Street until the younger Louis started his own pharmacy at the present day location. Huh? I'm going to murder myself a kitten. Located <laughs> of, um, yeah, the location of the pharmacy museum in 1823. The younger Louis went on to become America's first licensed pharmacist. Louis de Fahillo married Emmy Adele Bessenay. Bessonel in 1819. My eyes are bad. They had several, they had seven children, and together, although only four of them lived past childhood, their children, Louise, born and died in 1820. Delphine died in 1824 as a child. Amelie, Emile, Emily. Emily. Emily? It's Emily, yes. Went on to marry Pierre Rosette Palmer. Josephine went on to marry Adolphe Giles. Adele went on to marry Leopold Jeannette Remis. Jules died in 1832 as a child. Alfred, born in 1833 and married Corinne Taylor. The De family lived in the location until 1855. At that time, they sold it to Fliette Dupas and her husband, Dr. Joseph Dupas, for 18000 Dr. Dupas lived in the home until his death in 1867 from syphilis. Yay, philandering. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. Syphilis was a pretty common illness at the time. Yes, but usually you don't get it unless you Well, we sleep know around. how you get it, yes. <laughs> Visit sure. the brothels probably a little too much. Anyway, the haunting of the pharmacy museum. One of the ghosts of the pharmacy museum is said to be Dr. Dupas. According to local legend, Dupas imposed shocking experiments experiments on pregnant slaves and other people have stated that he performed voodoo rites within the property itself as well. Today it is said that Dr. Dupas' ghost haunts the pharmacy museum after it closes. His ghost is seen wearing a brown suit and most oftentimes a matching brown top hat too. His ghost appears to be of a man in his mid-60s. He is said to be short and stocky with a mustache. His spirit is responsible for throwing books 
moving items that are on display in the museum and triggering the alarm system even in the dead of night. A paranormal team who spent time here said the pregnant women in the presence of this evil entity are very susceptible to empathic physical reactions. We have not been able to verify the part of the story that talks about Dr. Dupas using slaves during experiments. Could this have happened? It's not implausible as doing experiments on the enslaved at this time was not unheard of. Or unheard, excuse me. Alternately, however, it seems that seems like slaves being tortured or used during medical experiments is a common theme for many ghost stories here in New Orleans. Well, Lori. Mm-hmm. She was, yeah, many of the New Orleans ghost stories you hear being told by to- ghost tour companies are not verified yet presented as fact. When Ghost City Tours visited the pharmacy museum, the kid working the front desk looked bored, so he, so we jokingly asked him if he knows of any ghosts in the building. We don't tell him that we owned a ghost tour company in New Orleans, simply played the part of tourist. He repeated the story mentioned above, but he but also mentioned that two children had been seen inside the building and out in the courtyard behind the building. Naturally, uh, okay, naturally, when asked if he knew if there were if they were boys or girls, he said, as far as he knew, it was a boy and a girl. And well, guess what? Look at the dates above for Louise Del the Philo's children. Both Delphine and Remus Remus would have died during that time. The Defilio house lived family lived in this house in this location. Could this explain the ghosts which have been seen there? I don't know. Could be. Could be. I mean, this is your home. You don't necessarily want to leave no and you're little and you don't know you've died maybe kids don't always know when they've died for sure here adults aren't as prone to not know as children are children are innocent they don't understand yes but i would think that a child is well they, they do say that when a child is born they're the closest to the dead to to dead Mm-hmm. Because they're coming from that from that past life into the afterlife and onto the next life. Mm-hmm. So, from my take on that, I would think that a child who dies mm-hmm. may soon realize they are dead. Could be. Could be. I don't know. Depends on how old the child is. It's just a supposition on my part. But anyway, whose turn is it? That would be probably me. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, because it was her, you, me. And now it's her, you, me. Okay. It's now her. So we're not going to have to roll the dice to find out. We could. I have plenty of dice here for that. Just saying. Mm -hmm. We used to have dice till this bag got stolen. Ooh. Poor Monstro. He had this monster thing It was as a dice bag. It looked like a whale. It reminded me of Monstro and Pinocchio, so I named it Monstro. (laughs) Missed that dice bag and all the dice that were in it. They were fun to play with. So... We have here the three ghosts of Toulouse Street and the hauntings of the former hospital. Try not to drop your voice when you do that. It's not useful. Um, <laughs> and the droppings, of, droppings, and the droppings of a former hospital. Sorry about that. Along Toulouse Street and the French Quarter, one block is filled with more than just hung, sorry, hungry tourists and locals passing by. From a feed store to a quarantine hospital and later a pub, three ghosts are said to seem roaming the grounds along with the haunting cries of mommy mommy the history for the haunting this ghost story begins with doomed guillaume guillaume Guillaume, marie mer mer 
and his soon-to-be widowed wife, Alice Marie, arriving in the French Quarter in, in 1803. That was actually Mary Alice, not Alice Marie. Sorry. It, it, not, not you were so focused on the French, I think you turned it around accidentally. My brain does that. Yeah, that's okay. Um, they bought neighboring buildings in the 500 block of Toulouse Street, opening a feed store at 508, above where they also lived. Next door at 514, they opened an oyster shucking house, which naturally smelled to high heaven. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, I love when I move the mouse so I can see it, and then I lose where it is because I moved the mouse. Uh, there we go. This being the 19th century New Orleans, uh, Mayor soon died of yellow fever, leaving the property and fortune to his widow. Car Mary carried on the business and eventually remarried to the chubby, balding Frenchman, Joseph Baptandari. Baptandier. Yeah, huh? In 1806 for her third foray into wedded bliss. He was chubby. We can call him Big Derriere, I suppose. <laughs> uh, it wasn't long before her wayward hubby entered into a placage, a tradition whereby men of European descent took on a mistress of native or mixed blood. Joseph's mistress was a fetching Angelique de Bois, who some sources say was also employed at the Toulouse Street feed store, where she lived in a small attic room. Angelique grew quite attached to Joseph and eventually demanded he leave his wife, who controlled all the money, and marry her. Joseph refused, and in 1810, the pair had a heated argument at the feed store. Angelique rendered the third floor where it is surmised she threatened Joseph that she was going to spill the beans to the missus about their affair. In a rage, Joseph supposedly choked her unconscious and threw her limp body down the courtyard below where she died of a broken neck. To cover his misdeed, Joseph stuffed the body into a sewer hole that had been dug in the courtyard and covered her up a third. But that's his a, That's beans, an interesting note. Sorry, I didn't yeah. mean to interrupt you. That's no an interesting note that she controlled all the money. Yes. Back well, she, then in, she controlled it to begin with because her husband died. Well, I'm just and saying when they back in 1810, women didn't have a lot of rights, which include property and money. But I don't think she would have married again without, without like a prenup, basically. Prenup, yep. basically. <laughs> a writ of, you ain't getting this. Yep. Um, Sorry, continue. No worries. <laughs> His foul deeds were, bit, were witnessed by a teenage slave looking out the fourth floor window in the courtyard. The young man fled after Joseph spotted him, leaving the murderer no choice but to kill himself to escape punishment. He went back to the third floor and hung and hung himself on the balcony. The slave returned later and pointed out where Joseph had stashed the body of his mistress Angelique. Despite the scandal of adultery and murder that's now attached to their home, the thrice widowed Mary continued to run the business and live in the building until her death in 1817 at the age of 35. The hauntings begin. <clears throat> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Soon after the deaths of Joseph and Angelique, the ghosts began to appear. The ghost of Joseph was spotted hanging by the neck on the, from the third floor window. The ghost of Angelique was seen wandering the third floor right after sunset. In the mid-1800s, during the yellow fever epidemic, the building was turned into a quarantine hospital for doomed victims. In order to escape a lingering, agonizing death, many patients were said to throw themselves from the windows of the upper stories to end the suffering. To combat this, metal bars were put in the windows and remained there to this day. In 1989, the building became one of the home... One of the famed O'Flatteries, O'Flaherty, O'Flaherty, thank you. I can't get that word out without... I'm not even looking, I'm just guessing. In. That's a good guess. Um, Irish <laughs> pub and the ghosts were frequent visitors of the ensuing rowdy Celtic evenings, or Celtic evenings. The ghost of Angelique herself was seen in the courtyard, described as slender with brown hair down to her waist. She liked to posthumously, posthumously, mm. yes, that's the word, flirt with handsome young men touching their hands and caressing their necks. She was also said to fling bottles across the bar when she became 
when she was feeling petulant. The sewer hole where Joseph dumped her corpse became a brick-lined planter in the area, which people found noticeably colder. Her murderer haunted the balcony over the ballad, ballad room where Daniel O'Flaherty Flaherty, Flaherty. Uh, would perform his, his Celtic music. Visitors reported feeling pushed while others said they were scratched by the ghost of a portly man, portly tall man. It was said that if you climbed higher in the house towards the top floors, the more intense the malevolent presence could be felt. The less menacing spirit of Mary would also materialize in the balcony to listen to whatever O'Flaherty was playing, uh, or sorry, whenever he was playing the song Red as the Rose. She would often appear in the kitchen and the restaurant to oversee all that was running smoothly and could be seen peering out through the second story window down the courtyard where Angelique had landed. It is said Mary would throw books off the shelves of the, com of the complex, held a gift shop whenever the pretty young woman would walk in. Sorry, whenever a pretty one, one woman would walk in. Apparently, her experiences in life left her prone to fits of ethereal jealousy. The eternal love triangle isn't the only haunting in the premise, premises. Uh, people reported flashing lights, coughing and moaning coming from the sealed doors that once held the dying yellow fever patients, as well as the cries of sick children calling for their mothers. The location today. Authorities never reopened after Hurricane Katrina, and the buildings were vacant for several years before being redeveloped into residential apartments. Oh, that's that's groovy. Mm -hmm. Today, the ground floor of 514 Toulouse is home to New Orleans Creole Cookery Restaurant. Several of the places where ghostly activity has been observed disappeared during renovations. The balcony over, Mary, over where Mary listened to music is gone, and the raised brick planter where Angelique was buried ain't there no more. However, Mary, Joseph, and Angelique are still very active, according to staff, as are the yellow fever victims. An employee tells how a female patron recently ran in fear from the stairs in the courtyard, telling people she heard a ghostly children calling, Mommy! Mommy! One longtime employee, when I told her I was a bit of skeptic, told me, don't be a skeptic. They're real. She wanted to relate how uh, on a long list of recent patron and staff encounters with the ghosts, including seeing Mary floating through the courtyard and hearing the children's cries for their mothers, even seeing Angelique, <clears throat> the wench, with a different word, is even in the bathroom. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Now, the only thing I can take away from that that may not be attributed to haunting would be the sewer hole. Yes. They say it's cool, and they, so they attribute that to the ghost. But that planter was built over the sewer hole. Mm -hmm. It's probably going to be the coolest place because that's where the water flows. That sewer still exists. This is true. Well, in theory, the sewer still exists. Was it a sewer hole that was joined to the city, or was it just a sewage hole? Built for the building. You can say, but it sounds to me like it's a possibility. Yes. Just the same. Okay. Well, let me see what's next here. Duels for pride and honor left behind hundreds of ghosts at Dueling Oaks in City Park. City Park, sorry. I don't know what City Park is. <laughs> Hast thou been affronted? Did some rogue at the ball disparage the size of your holdings or seek a scandalous courtship with thine betrothed? Seeketh thou satisfaction for a scurrilous barb from some rapscallion fellow politician? Politician, sorry. <laughs> well, sir, tis incumbent upon thee to challenge the offended party of his heinous insult to an affair of honor, a duel with blades at dawn, with pistols if you prefer. Just make sure you two agree on the type of weapons. 
as in don't bring in a gun to don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Yep. But where to hold the meeting of bloody arbitration? Might we suggest behind St. Louis Cathedral in St. Anthony's Garden? For this was the go-to spot a good during a good part of the 18th century where the hot-headed swains or insulted Creole gents of New Orleans went to settle their differences. Full disclosure, if you should happen to fatally lose this affair of honor, you may continue to haunt the place of your defeat from time immemorial. Duels to the death in the French Quarter. Or, hi, Harley. <laughs> Duels to the death in the French Quarter. For a half century beginning around 1740, countless duels of varying mortality were staged in the garden behind the Grand Cathedral. However, after decades of listening to the clang of colicmardis and cracks of bullets, the priests and neighbors decided they'd had enough of the noise and dueling was outlawed within the city limits. However, ghost hunters report that restless spirits of the duelists remain in the cathedral garden. On a quiet night, they say you can feel cold breezes, hear ghostly gunfire, and glimpse fleeting shadows when standing near the garden's iron gates. One source says the corner of Royal Street and Pierre Antoine's Alley is a prime spot to witness these eerie events. Duels move from Esplanade Avenue to City Park. After dueling was outlawed within the city limits, the old Thunderdome simply moved to up Esplanade Avenue to a green space that is now City Park. The noble battles continued to be waged under two towering oak trees, soon dubbed the Dueling Oaks. Yes, the name has an extra L which is vexing to a certain author, <laughs> the author in question here, and editors as well. Spell check. Hundreds of duels were waged under the Oaks, so many that looking back in 1892, the Times Democrat wrote, blood has been shed under the old cathedral aisles of nature. Between 1834 and 1844, scarcely a day passed without duels being fought at the Oaks. Why it would not be strange if the very violet blossoms red of this soaked grass. The dueling oaks became so popular for duels that ten were waged on a single Sunday in 1839. Probably because back when the Saints were playing the duels in City Park, sometimes attracted hundreds of spectators with nothing better to do. See the previous statement on Saints. One duel was the result of a man placing his sister's chair too close to another at a dinner party. Glove met face, honor was demanded, the mover of the chair died under the dueling oaks for his heinous furniture displacement. You suppose they had to take a number? Probably. <laughs> On a day. You get ten in a row, okay, you're number one. <laughs> you go after them. So one of the most famous duelists of his day was Senor Don Jose Pepe Lula, a master of sword and pistol who legend says fought dozens of duels and was so adept at killing that rumor was he bought St. Vincent de Paul Cemetery and Louisa Street just to bury his vanquished foes. Mm -hmm. Some ghost hunters have reported that the spirit armed with a sword or cane, possibly the ghost of Lula himself, roams cemetery number two to this day. In 1855, police started breaking up the duels under the dueling oaks. Though the conflicts secretly continued like some sort of 19th century fight club. I knew he was going to make a reference to that. Yeah. But by 1890, the Dueling Oaks were finally a peaceful place and angry gentlemen just sued each other instead. The Dueling Oaks continued to face off for more than 50 years until one was finally defeated. 
knocked down by a hurricane in 1949, leaving the other oak tree victorious on what smart people call a pathetic fallacy. Uh, let's see. Good job. Here we go. The dueling oaks today. As with St. Anthony's Garden and St. Vincent de Paul Cemetery, stories tell of the ghosts of duelists haunting the remaining 300-year-old dueling oak. The tree can be found to the left of the New Orleans Museum of Art, a peeling plaque describing the affairs of honor that took place there. Note, don't confuse the dueling tree with the suicide oak on Victory Drive, totally different scary tree. Under the dueling oak, visitors have reported finding places of heavy melancholy where mortally wounded victims fell. They felt invisible fingers of, yeah, like that. <laughs> Check fly. Sorry. Okay. They felt visible fingers of vanquished combatants brush by. Others say that glowing orbs appear on photographs taken at the tree near dawn or dusk. Isn't that the time when you see the dust motes anyway? Mm-hmm. Not disparaging the orbs by any means, but I mean, you got to take that in consideration. The image of twisted faces can be seen in the bark of the ancient tree although it could just be a, the product of an overactive imagination or not. I did look at the picture of the tree, and you do kind of see a f- couple of faces in the bark. It's kind of, kind of, cool. the pareidolia definitely kicks in there. So you ready for the next one, dear? Sure. Okay. Beauregard Key's house. <laughs> mm-hmm. It begins so tamely. A tour group makes its way through a historical home across the street from the old Ursuline convent in the French Quarter. As they pass the requisite fountain at the center of the block courtyard, a cat slips up to the group and presents herself to the tour guide's leg, a bell around her neck swinging back and forth, but emitting no sound. This would be Caroline, a resident feline often seen around the house or in the courtyard. If you ever forget the name of the cat, just look under the stairway in the back corner of the courtyard. Her name is engraved on her tombstone. Caroline, our loyal cat, May 9th, 1994. Yes, Caroline is a ghost cat, but she is not the only spirit in the Beauregard Keys house. Okay. The history. The most well-known ghost story swirling around the Beauregard Keys house is in the 1100 block of Chartres Street involve one of the house's namesakes, Confederate General P.G.T. Beauregard. The story goes that in 1861, just days after being appointed commander at the West Point Military Academy, Beauregard's position was revoked and he returned home to New Orleans and to his second wife, Caroline, no relation to the cat, (laughs) Caroline, Caroline, sister-in-law to Senator John Slidell of Slidell fame, planned a grand ball to welcome her husband home, a ball to be held in the spacious dining room off the main hallway that bisects the building. Why is it when I see this name, PGT Burger, I think of Yosemite Sam in a Confederate uniform with a white mustache instead of a red. I thought of P.T. Barnum. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. Okay. Okay. I don't know. You say Slidell, my mind goes right L high. So, you know. Yeah. Anyhow. Oh, you got to watch that. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Alas, the military... Uh, Duty calls before the swearway. Alas, military duty calls before the swearway. Swearway could be held at Beauregard, as Beauregard went off to fight with the Confederate Army at Fort Sumter, where he oversaw the first shots fired in the Civil War. He would never see his beloved Caroline again, for she would die of illness in 1864 while he was away. The story goes that in the years after Beauregard's death, the ethereal orchestra music, dancing feet, and laughter could be heard. The Eternal echoes from Caroline's grand ball that never occurred. 
Other tales told of the ghostly silhouette of Beauregard in his full uniform and his beloved Caroline dancing past the veiled windows of the ballroom. The ghostly sounds of cannon fire and the horrible sounds of battle emanating from the house are said to be Beauregard reliving his battles for eternity while pining for his lost love Caroline in the home they once shared. Tragic or improbable? It's also tragic, and if you listen to the Beauregard Keys tour guide Rosanna Shepard, also improbable. You see, spoiler alert, the couple never actually lived in the house. They lived over on Esplanade Avenue, which is where Caroline died. It wasn't until 1865, a year after Caroline passed, that the general came to live at the house, and even then he was just a, a renter who stayed in a building out back for a couple of years before moving on. Doesn't mean his parents not patrolling? Wasn't that the house that she was going to have the, the ball in anyway, though? Maybe that's what it meant hear. something to them, obviously. Who knows? Documenting the hauntings. But wait, there is a matter there is the matter of the scary three-ring binder. Okay. In the early 1980s, one of the directors of the house began to keep a small blue binder that recorded supernatural encounters experienced by workmen, tour guides, and visitors to the house. Divided by the year with the most recent entries in the front, some accounts were written directly into the pages. Others copied out on various types of paper and taped inside. Some of the spooky experiences listed in the binder include July 17th, 2010, an AT&T technician working in the basement saw a man sitting in a chair watching him. The man smiled, then disappeared moments later. May 21st, 2004. Yeah, <laughs> a man came to water plants in the courtyard when he saw a lady in white pass through the courtyard and disappear beneath the steps. The tour guide also reported seeing the woman in white on the on other occasions. February 18th, 1991. An employee felt someone brush past in the hallway between the two bedrooms and turned in time to see a lady's dress disappear into the ballroom. October 5th, 1995, an employee saw the hem of a long beige dress pass by the parlor and down the hallway. August 25th, 1995, footsteps and heavy dragging sounds were heard in the ballroom, but nothing was seen. December 1992, several visitors heard faint but lively party music coming from the front of the house. July 1890, or 1992, an employee looking out the kitchen door saw the upper torso of a lady in white walking from the corner and down the stairs. Maybe she was looking for the hem of her dress. <clears throat> the witch is downstairs crossing the parlor. Exactly. Anyway, so, <laughs> I love you both. <laughs> October 8, 1986, ghost dog in Mrs. K's bedroom. Is it lucky? No, not if it's a ghost dog. <laughs> Wasn't very lucky at all. Yes, but yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. But I'm You're just as bad as I am. I am terrible. It's a dad joke. Yes. Yeah. The entry. Anyway, the entry would be the ghost dog. That entry would be in relation to the other, arguably more famous namesake of the Beauregard Keys house. Best-selling historical novel, novelist Francis Parkinson Keys pronounced Keys. Keys like Keys like Cobra Kai. Okay. Keys. Moved down from the new in, from New England into the ramshackle dwelling in 1944, and began to renovate it in it to its former glory. She even wrote a fictional account of Beauregard's life in eight, in 1962 titled "Madame Castell's Lodger." When Kai's died in the house in 1970, she had already established the Keys Foundation, which continues to this day to operate the house as a museum, and no Keys. Kai's didn't seem to haunt, doesn't seem to haunt the house, but her cocker spaniel Lucky appears too. It is said that when Kai's died, Lucky climbed into her bed days later and died from grief. And a 
event photographer recently saw the ghostly dog hanging around the fireplace in the Kai's bedroom. A blind woman reported that her seeing eye dog went ballistic in the same room, which is only it only overdubbed when another dog was present. Okay. Okay. Is this still me? So we don't know we don't know if Beauregard and his wife are in the house, but Lucky apparently is. Lucky is and someone's there. And so is Caroline. Is no, that's not you. That's me. The cat, that, I mean. That's you. Okay. Yeah. No, I we're we two conversations. I know. <laughs> that happens. People are used to it, hopefully. We are. We're not sidetracked yet, but we'll get there eventually. We'll get there. We have already gotten there. Just wait. Just wait. It's just true. wait, Henry yes. Higgins. Just wait. Okay, so. Now we're sidetracked. <laughs> Hauntings from one of the bloodiest and most infamous crimes. <laughs> uh, but a few dress sightings and a couple of paranormal pets aren't the only spooky happenings in the on the Shea BK. Rosanna, our tour guide. Maybe this is you. I, I keep reading. It's all right. Um, stands at the Unless back you want porch. To read it here. Okay. Overlooking the courtyard and tells the true story of one of the bloodiest and most infamous crimes in New Orleans lore. A family of Sicilian immigrants named Graysona purchased the house in 1904, ran a liquor business out of it, even producing their own wine in the basement. No, it wasn't an actual basement, just a dark underside of the house. But if you're in New Orleans, you knew that. New Orleans is high on the water table, so it mm. doesn't uh, isn't allowed to have basements. That's true. Just why we have to bury everybody above ground. Yes, because the, the bodies have a tendency to float away. Yeah. Anywho, they both they floated away during Katrina, and they were in above ground. So yep. Uh, the evening of June sixteenth, nineteen oh eight, a protection group known as the Black Hand came by for a visit. The four interlopers sat at the table on the back porch and demanded money from the Gracionas under the thinly veiled threat of violence. Patriarch Pietro finally appeared to cave to the extortion, going into the house ostensibly to fetch the money. Instead, he returned with a rifle, and he, with the possible help of his son, Corrado, showed all four members of Black Hand, killing three on the spot. The fourth was fourth thug was found collapsed several blocks away, uh, pressing a dead chicken to his neck, to staunch the bleeding from the foul play. Wow. Dead chicken, foul play. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> the sounds of otherworldly gunfire and the screams of the wounded men have been recorded uh, by those who believe that the mobster bloodbath reverberates in the house to this very day. One ghost hunter found there to be a large cold spot on the back porch where the killings occurred. Another ghost guide says trails of blood flow from the scene of the crime and passerbys have witnessed guns waving in the air by unseen hands. The past is never dead. Tour guide Rosanna stands at place of the massacre and enthusiastically reenacts the violence to entranced visitors before showing them the portraits the Gracionas kept in the glass display case of the ballroom. She by the way, that's Giaconis. Giaconis, sorry. I'm awake. I just, just want to be accurate. Sorry. I'm losing my mind. It's great. Yay. So they kept it in a glass display case. In the, in the ballroom. Uh -huh. Tells of how the aftermath of the massacre, they were arrested, tried, and exonerated. To this tale, she adds a final kicker. She says, Corrado's granddaughter, Rosanna, Gracona, Graciona, whatever the hell, Shepard, one way or other, the past is never really dead. The Beauregard K's house, still active. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. It's a trigger for her. I guess it should be the next part, huh? Mm -hmm. Was that mine? That, that part was, was actually um, worse, yeah. The, but the gap, the, the right. spacing was, was different, so it made it, made it look like it was working. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry. No worries. Maybe highlight them as different colors for different sections. Just a suggestion. Mm -hmm. 
Not bitching, just a suggestion. Do you want to read the next one? Or? I can. I don't care. We can go back and forth. I can do it. I can do it. And you can do it. That way we don't break our strike. You don't have to read the whole story. You can split it up. Doesn't matter. So Mona Lisa, the heartbroken ghost of City Park. When you think of Mona Lisa, hopefully Leonardo da Vinci's famous painting of a smiling woman leaps to mind. Not the terrifying image of a ghostly young woman emerging from the dark to claw at your car window. At least I hope that's not the case. I giggled because there's hands flailing in me. Ah, yes. <laughs> My husband's a weirdo. So are we. But you might be one of the many young or firmly young people who, over the years, have been visited by the ghost of Mona Lisa while parking in hippie quotes at night <laughs> on Mona Lisa Drive in New Orleans City Park. Parking. <clears throat> <laughs> That's what they, all the young kids call it. Anywho, the origins of Mona Lisa. And once again, the computer jumps. There we go. The legend of Mona Lisa, it was the daughter of a wealthy family that had lived in the McFadden Mansion, the stately building near the Big Lake, which is now home to the Christian Brothers School. Uh, never mind that Texas oil millionaire William H. McFadden and his wife Helen, who bought and expanded the original building to what it is today, never actually had any children. Mona Lisa is said to have fallen in love with a sailor, and the pair would make goo eyes at each other while whilst promenading beneath the oaks beside the lagoons near the family's home. However, her father disapproved of, this, of his precious daughter falling under the spell of a jacktar and forbade her from seeing him. Distraught, Mona Lisa dove to the nearby lagoon and drowned herself in a Shakespearean fashion. Or, Mona Lisa was murdered. That's another version of the tale. Okay. In the other telling, the sailor is scoundrel who cruelly was using Mona Lisa for a fling while ashore and had no interest in the long-term marriage thing. The pair got into a heated argument that led to physical altercation, which ended the sailor drowning poor Mona Lisa in the lagoon. The legend goes on to say the distraught dad then donated his holdings to the city for a park with the condition the statue of Venus, which is said to resemble his unfortunate daughter, be erected in her memory. Other uh, less unlikely accounts say the philanthropist philanthropist donated several statues to New York to sorry not New York New Orleans Parkway Commission with the cravat that this particular statue be given a good display as was the memory of the deceased daughter Mona. Uh, photos from the 1930s show a statue in the city park that may be Mona Lisa displayed at the center of the intersection of bridge pathways framed by neatly trimmed hedges with nearby fountain. The hauntings. Drawn by the romantically magic tale of Mona Lisa, couples would flock to the statue. Sadly, the attention... Tragic tale, not magic tale. Sorry, tragic tale. I'm putting a different spin on it. <laughs> well, you know, tragically magic. I don't know. They're magically tragic. Uh, <laughs> couples would flock to the statue. Sadly, the attention reportedly ended with violence. Sorry, ended with Venus was knocked down and destroyed. Well, you were telling power. a different story, aren't you? <laughs> you know Chipping or McKinley's It's fun. okay. It's okay. Um... So the, it reportedly ended when Venus... Car. Okay. Uh, the remains of the statue were alleged to be in storage at the New Orleans Museum of Art. The site itself grew wild with the, with only the pedestal of the statue still visible for many years until it too was removed. While the exact location of where the statue stood is supposedly a mystery, it's said to be just the southwest of the Pop Fountain, FYI. Pop Fountain is a popular gathering spot for witches in the 1970s. But this is a ghost story. So, <clears throat> a map of the New Orleans City Park website shows the location Mona Lisa Drive, where the ghost originally was seen before she branched out to other parts of the park. The Mona Lisa, sorry, the spirit of Mona Lisa is reported to, I uh, did not take kindly to the statue being destroyed. Couples parking on Mona Lisa Drive, the secluded road that runs 
north of the traffic circle on Harrison Avenue, past the Kuroi Forest, uh, began to report a misty apparition that would moan and tap at the car window. This was especially scary for couples because it was well-known fact that canoodling teens always get killed for some horror movies. Man, this man makes me happy yet makes me very sad. Mm -hmm. At the same point. The sightings of this mystery specter of Mona Lisa increased over the years. The mournful apparition known as Moaning Lisa or Moaner Lisa, screaming and yelling strange laughter has been heard by people passing the woods or playing at the tennis complex. As the heartbroken Mona Lisa cried out in the night, either because she longed for her beloved sailor or was eternally furious about being murdered by him. Take your pick. Today, the ubiquitous have ghostly tales become, right? The ubiquitous have the ghostly tales become that Mona Lisa Drive is listed by several websites as one of the most haunted roads in America. As the stories of her nocturnal appearances become more widespread, widespread, so did the Mona Lisa's range. She's now been spotted all over City Park, not just Mona Lisa Drive. Her vaporous, tragic form floating beneath the ancient oaks and down the secluded paths on darkened nights. Well, I think we're going to stop here tonight. Uh, we got through just about a third of what I had found. <laughs> and there's still more to go beyond that. We got two-thirds of, the, of the, the form here. I can see right there on my little track. All right, two-thirds. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I misspoke. But there's more to come because I, I know my husband is prone to rabbit holes as well as Tracy. So we will probably discuss more too. haunted New Orleans locations at a later date. Yes. But... Uh, I don't want to bore anybody with more of this stuff right now. Why? Uh, it's fun. Well, it is fun. It's fun for us because we're here being stupid and, <laughs> and enjoying ourselves while, you know, the listener might be saying, get on with the story. So, <laughs> okay. Or they could be saying, ooh, 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 that's cool. Let me look it up and get more. Why don't we they take a poll? More story, more story. You can ask. Sure, we can take two, We know two of our listeners quite well. Well, those two listeners, if you will let us know, because you guys don't really tell us anything. That's not true. That's not true. I'm house-sitting for one of our listeners. Oh, they told you I like that episode. <laughs> that, that doesn't, doesn't, that doesn't help. That's not a critique. No, it's not helpful. But to put, it, to put it to you, if we had more to put out for this particular story, would you listen to an entire podcast of it? Again. Or would you want us to break it up like I'm going to do? Because I could have gone on longer. Yeah, yeah. But I think uh, you're getting tired, and you're getting tired, and I'm getting tired because we record at night, and we haven't eaten dinner yet. We haven't eaten yet dinner yet, so what's, that makes us even more tired. Dinner, dinner is that thing that you sometimes get, but you don't always want. Yeah, yeah. It's or, the thing or you we always want, but don't always get. That too. <laughs> anyway, I think we're gonna end it for tonight. Um, Again, I wanted to let people know June 10th about the Oddities Craft Fair in Prest at Preston, Preston Castle, Castle and Ion. If you're a local out here, definitely go check it out. It sounds like it's a lot of fun. Um, it's the a, it's, taxidermy has sold out. Taxidermy sold out. There's still one other. They're still doing um, tours of the castle. They're I doing think. the castle tours yeah. and the Oddities Market. Uh -huh. And it sells out. It's always popular, no matter where it ends up. There was one here in Sacramento at one point, yeah. and it sold out before I could even get tickets. So way worth going if you yeah, get the chance. Definitely free to, to browse. You know, it's a ten dollar fee to, to get in, but once you're in, you, you can, can buy feel things, free to poke browse, around. buy, poke around, whatever. Um, it's a little more, like I said, like you said, for the uh, for the tours of the castle. And I think there's another thing going. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but you know, it sounds like a lot of fun. I, Definitely go check it out if you get the chance. Um, 
Also, I can't wait to hear more from Morgan about yes. Bethany's Home Sweet Haunted Home. Unfortunately, she's not feeling too well right now, so we'll have to table that for another night. She's baking a baby, so we have to give she's her She's baking a baby, then the baby has decided to sit in her ribs, yes. under her ribs. She's not kick happy. And kick and kick. and me be mean. Yes. Because there's not a lot of space under the ribs. No, there's not a lot of space. And when you only have a few more weeks to go, not a lot of space, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the baby's all bunched up in the, in, literally in the fetal position. Yep. Shaped like a football waiting to be punted out. <laughs> wow. Okay, that, that, that just painted the wrong image in everybody's head. I apologize for that. <laughs> Actually, it's the baby doing the punting right now. Yes. And Kyle is not happy about I'm sick and tired of being in here. I want out. Yep. Yep, that's pretty much it. And then when they and then when they do come out, they come out screaming, saying, "Put me back in!" You saw that movie. I remember that movie. Look yeah. who's talking. Look who's talking. Yes. Mm-hmm. <coughs> There's so so many references tonight. Mm-hmm. I got to give it up to uh, to the author of the stories again. Oh yeah, uh, definitely worth yeah, it. Yeah. One yeah. of our better storyline, mm-hmm. the story people who does. Michael, the I gave you credit. Yes. You made the stories enjoyable. In a whole I, other I think this person would be fun to interview. Yes, to interview. Just talk to him, yeah. I'll have to see if I can look him up. Yeah, might maybe, be something to do. get old of me and tell us personally about these normal exactly. locations. But until then, we're going to let it go for tonight. Folks, we hope you had a fun time listening to us. We hope to have you interact with us more often. Um, I'm going to put it out there for those who listen. I am looking for guests for our show once again. If you are in the paranormal field or you are an enthusiast, whether you're interested in ghosts, if you're a ghost hunter or a paranormal investigator, which is to use the term properly, or into cryptids, or you're a ufologist or UFO contactee or a spirit medium or anything like that, the list goes on and on. If you want to tell us your story, if you want to be interviewed, let us know. You know, you can message myself, Adri, or Tracy yep. on Facebook or at our group site. I would like to apologize. I have not been on Facebook a lot lately. I just haven't been up to it. All right. Maybe not Adri. <laughs> Adri, actually, Adri checks her messages through Facebook Messenger. Okay. But Facebook is not always forthcoming with those messages from people I am not friends with. So you're going to look for Adriana Camito. Kent Whittington or Tracy Lynn Hernandez. Those are our Facebook handles. Or you can find us at the group, uh, which of course is the Wetland Podcast Facebook group. Or you can leave us a message on this particular episode uh, if you click on the link below the description. Um, But let us know if you're interested in being interviewed. Also, if you're a paranormal podcaster and would like to talk with us or collaborate in some way, we're open for that too. In the meantime, All I can say is stay spooky. We'll see you in about two weeks. And cue the the gremlin. What in the Podcast is a part of the What in the Podcast network and is available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other great podcast formats. You can find us on Facebook at the What in the Podcast Facebook group. 
If you have a great story idea or have a personal paranormal event that you want to share with us, email us at whatinthepodcast at gmail.com with your story, or you can leave us a voice message by clicking the link in the episode description. If you like what you're hearing, please don't forget to leave us a review and rate us five stars. It doesn't seem like much, but it helps us more than you can imagine. What in the Podcast is also made possible thanks to our sponsors and listeners like you. Thanks for listening.